Okay, so we are holding the middle of Chavav. We're almost to the uh, the center point here. And what we left off with last time was a discussion about how the uh, Rebbe is showing us that uh, despite the fact that it may have been the common knowledge that uh, prior to Hasidus that the idea of being Adaraba, a state of melancholy, heaviness, uh, would be necessarily a, a positive thing. So the Alter Rebbe is coming down very hard on that on that idea, that uh, that plan, and showing us that in fact that is very far from the truth. And even the pasuk that seems to say that there is some sort of benefit in there being some sort of uh, heaviness, m- melancholy. In fact, we have to read the right pshat in that sentence. And the right pshat of that sentence is not that the Eitzev itself is what's going to be positive, but it's what comes out of the Eitzev. And we left off last time with this idea of there being a true simcha from a true, uh, what he calls here, an emissor, um, uh, which atzvus or merirus, and, and he all of a sudden added this word mar. So I want to I want to focus on that word, and I want to try to get to the the colon today because I want to get going with the with the different strategies. So, so let's start from um, first word on the line is menu. We'll start vahainu. So he says like this: vahainu hasimcha emisis b'Hashem elokav haba achara eitzev ha'emisi, right? Namely, the simcha emisi, which is coming after the eitzev ha'emisi. Okay, so, and we, we focused on this word emisi last time because there could be a lot of different confusion in terms of what really is a true simcha and what really is a true atzvus. And so what we're going about to say, and I just wanted to go off for a second and talk about this, is that the true simcha could only really be a simcha which is a deep-seated simcha in a person. In other words, what really is a simcha? And the way the Alter Rebbe is defining it here is it's, a, it's an openness of being in the person. So much so that he is so in touch with his neshama, right, that there's such an openness that he's in, we'll call it a flow state for, for the 21st century people of us, right, that are here, that he is in a flow state and therefore he's able to handle, he's able to be involved in anything that comes his way, essentially. He's in a state that nothing's going to stop him, right? He's in a state of this underlying, uh, almost like, you know, if you can imagine like waves on an ocean, of just the calmness of the waves, like anything, no matter what's going to come towards him, he is in this openness and therefore he is able to, he's able to handle any scenario that really is going on in life. And that type of happiness is not a happiness like that is coming from a hedonistic point of view where, yes, I just bought my first Mercedes-Benz and now I'm thrilled out of my mind or something like that, or I just had the most delicious, you know, a chocolate cake or whatever, whatever it is. The Gashmias ticket things, which we know disappear very, very quickly. Because a person could get as angry and frustrated as anything in his first drive in his new Ferrari, right? That's not necessarily representative of happiness. Right? Representing, representing happiness is this deep-seated satisfaction of connection to the Abishter. That's what he's saying. And that's what makes us feel like we're in this state of being that is just uh, you know, something other than heaviness, something other than melancholy, something other than um, a state of uh, you know, basically going up and down every two seconds. And what he's saying here is that there is something to having a, a 
a continuation from a prior state. In other words, the prior state that we're talking about is a mar, as he's about to describe, a bitterness, not an atzvus. So what is the difference? We touched upon it briefly last week. And the difference is that an atzvus, in the modern-day sense of it, is someone that cannot get out of bed in the morning. What's the point of living? Why am I even bothering? Why am I even here? Right? So it's a, it is the ultimate goal of the Yetzirahara. The Yetzirahara's ultimate goal is to cause a person to go into atzvus. Why? Because when a person's in atzvus, he's done. There's nothing he can do in life. Anything that happens, he's not interested in mitzvahs, he's not interested in taira, he's not interested in relationships, he's not interested in anything. He's interested in nothing. It's a closing down of the self. And therefore, you can't tell a person that's in atzvahs, you know, well, why don't you uh, feel this way or why don't you feel that way, or, right? A person, and we've all felt at different times in our life this heaviness or melancholy for one reason or another, and we know that it feels like you just you don't want to do anything. You just, you, you just are in this lack of wanting of anything. You, there's nothing there. That is the ultimate goal of the Yetzirah. The Yetzirah is not interested as so much in you doing an Avera as much as it's interested in you getting into Atzvahs. This is discussed in various places in Chassidus. Why? Because if it could get you into Atzvus, then it wins the whole game. If it gets you to eat meat and milk together, so it won on this one point. But really, if it could get you to get depressed, even over the fact that you ate meat and milk together, which we're going to discuss as we're going to go through this, uh, these few chapters, that is a very interesting strategy of the Eitzahara, then it's possible that really it's a bigger win. The bigger win than eating meat and milk together is the atzvus that comes from eating milk, meat and milk together. Why? Because once you fall into the atzvus, so then why bother eating not meat and milk? Why bother keeping Shabbos? Why bother keeping kosher? Why bother uh, having a relationship with a friend? Why bother talking to anyone? Why bother, why bother, why bother? Fill in the blank. Because that is the objective of the Yetzirahara. It gets you off your game. Completely. That's the objective. The, on the other hand, what is Marirus? Marirus is life. You could be besimcha with Marirus. Because if we're defining simcha as an openness of feeling, of being able to connect with someone, being able to connect with yourself, the idea of Marirus is I can't go to sleep at night because I'm so frustrated that I did this thing. And therefore, that frustration is not a negative thing. That frustration is a positive thing. Because now the frustration is going to cause you to do something different. That's the goal. That's the Yetzir Tov. That's the Nefesh Lekis. Because I ate meat and milk, if a person is thinking in those terms, for example. So therefore, I need to find a way that I'm not going to do this again. I feel terrible that I did this to the Abishar. I feel terrible I did this to the Jewish people. I feel terrible that I did it to my family. I feel terrible that I did it to my soul. And therefore, how am I going to make things different that it will never come to such a situation again? I feel terrible that I stepped on my friend's toe. And therefore, I want to call my friend and make up with him. I want to call my friend and figure out how I'm going to fix this relationship. So he says, Adarab, the Marirus is actually could be a very positive thing. 
and could cause you to be even more besimcha because now you have like the holy Gerasa Chuva is about is you have a you have the potential to make even a stronger relationship with your friend because you went through this not positive situation together and or in this situation this not positive situation between you and God so it it's not a negative thing as much as it's a positive thing in terms of a a, a highway to simcha it's not the simcha but it has the potential to bring you to even a deeper simcha. That's what the Pasuk is talking about. And that's what he says here, that the true simcha could come from a true Aesim. The Aesim Uzumanim, right, that a person spends every once in a while. Now, notice what he's saying here. He's not saying that a person should spend his day thinking about all the bad things that he's doing in life. That is not an appropriate strategy. There are appropriate strategies and not appropriate strategies. Right? So you think to yourself, oh, look at this strategy, perfect strategy. So now you want to do what? So now you want to use that all day long. So a person can walk around with himself thinking to himself, oh, I made this mistake and I made this mistake and I'm, I'm such a... Once again, wrong strategy. You're, what we're going to see throughout these next bunch of chapters is we have to be in control of who's setting the agenda within us. That's the key to this whole story. Who is setting the agenda? So the Yetzirah comes along and he wants to set the agenda. And you have to know what the goal is. The goal of the Yetzirah, again, is not to make you do an Avera. That is not the goal of the Yetzirah. That's not the ultimate goal of the Yetzirah. It might be a goal along the way. But that's not the, the ultimate goal of the Yetzirah is to get you into a state of Atzvus. That is the ultimate goal. That is the win of the Yetzirah. The win of the Nefesh Elokis is to keep you in a state of Simcha, which stems from no need to daiga, like we said before, because it's all from Hashem. It's all one. It's all the Eibishter. And therefore there is no worry, there's no heaviness, there's no nothing. So once you have redefined the goals, now you can look inside yourself and you recognize when your brain, when your, when your thoughts are coming through your mind, what is going on? Who's saying this thought? Most of us are living our lives. We don't even know what the goal is. We don't even know what's going on. So we're bouncing around from thought to thought to thought to thought. Most importantly, my thought is not me. So the first thing I have to recognize is who's doing the thinking right now? Then to recognize which team is this coming from? Which goal is this accomplishing? And then to even recognize that the Yetzirah could turn around and say, oh, look, even Alter Rebbe says in Tanya that if you get into a state of mar, you get in a state of bitterness, you, it's the ultimate thing, you can go. So now he's going to say, okay, let's do it 24-7 because it has an agenda. Its agenda is Atzvus. That's the agenda of the Yetzirahara. The agenda of the Yetzirahara is Atzvus. You have to tattoo that to the back of our eyelids, right? The agenda of the Yetzirahara is Atzvus. That is the whole agenda of the Yetzirahara. And everything that it's going to say in my brain is going to be with that agenda in mind. And if you recognize that you start to see throughout your day who's talking, so yes, it could be a good idea to do this, this idea of this, uh, we're going to call it a cheshben nefesh. Yes, it's a good idea. But not 
It says specifically, with a broken heart, with a bitter heart, a soul and a broken heart. Yes, because a person could become complacent. A person could become heavy. A person could become in a state of superficiality in life. That he's just living life on automatic pilot. Very common. When he's in that state, as we're going to explain in chapters 29 and 30... Right, because those are the chapters that are dealing more with the Lev Nishbar and the idea of this concept of superficiality that a person is living in an automatic pilot, then what happens is that his heart is completely blocked. So the method of communication between the Yetzir Tov or the Nefesh Lukis and the Midos is blocked. So it's very hard to, to, to get, the, get it right, basically. Because even though your Nefesh Elokis is speaking, your heart is not listening. Not yours. I should say it's everything in this type of chapter you have to say in first person. Me! Believe me. <laughs> I'm not talking from the top of the mountain here. This is a lifelong avoda. This is a lifelong avoda. But most of the, I, I, I want to reiterate so much on this. Most of the time we don't even realize what's happening. The, the, the thoughts are flying through our brain like uh, they're in the Indy 500 over here and they don't even know, you know, you don't even know who's driving. So, yes, this could be a this could be a very useful tool to somehow break out of it. Right? And in fact, we see that this unfortunately this tool is used by the Abishter. Right? That a lot of times the Abishter will send us some sort of very difficult challenge that breaks us out of our complacency. And all of a sudden, we start crying to Hashem. We need help. Help me. Right? This negative experience happens, and, 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 and Hashem wakes us up. Right? I remember, you know, we should never know from such things. I remember growing up, you know, in the community, in the modern Orthodox community that I grew up in. And a lot of times, you know, uh, these were people that were identifying as being modern Orthodox. But in fact, you know... Uh, they weren't necessarily going to shul on a regular basis, and they weren't regularly, you know, sure, every Shabbos, whatever, but not that. And all of a sudden, you know, chas v'shalom, chas v'chalila, right there, all of a sudden, uh, you know, God forbid, they had to sit shiva for a parent or whatever. These are older people already even, right? And all of a sudden, you see them starting to change. They, 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 they all of a sudden become more identified with the Abishter. And all of a sudden, they start going to the Minyan, and all of a sudden, they, they keep it up even after the year of, of Kaddish or whatever. It's like they, they make a whole change in their lives. Because something broke them out of their complacency. So we don't want the Abishter to break us out of our complacency. No thank you. So there are times when we have to break ourselves out of our complacency. Because the lull, the Eilam Hazel lulls us into this automatic pilot complacency uh, feeling that we just go around and we could be spending the whole day in yeshiva in a state of complacency. Where we're, we're putting on our tefillin in the morning, we're davening, uh, you know, shachris min chamarav. We're learning Torah all day, and yet we're we're an automatic pilot. There's no heart, and all of a sudden, the whole day went by. You don't even realize you didn't. You know, there was no connection to Hashem all day long, and obviously, that doesn't really feel good. And obviously, people don't even realize that it doesn't feel good, and they just go with this, and they can go from day to day, from month to month, to year to year. It could be like that. So, yes, there is, an, there is a concept, we're going to be talking about it in chapter 29, of 
breaking oneself out of that complacency, <coughs> out of that superficiality, out of that like lulling. And yes, you could get to a point of simcha, great simcha from it, right? Like it says in the Zayar about the Pasuk, a broken spirit, a broken heart. But interestingly enough, that Pasuk, which we say every night, right, in Kriyashma Shalomita, it's in chapter Nun Aleph of Tehillim, right, is not a standalone, is not a standalone sentence. It's within a context. And this is what that capital is talking about. The capital, the beginning of the capital, is talking about what? It's talking about Tashmi'einu sa'asom v'simcha v'goymer Hashiva li'sa'asom she'echa ruach nadiva Right? In other words, it's talking about simcha. And sometimes the way to simcha is through a brokenness. That we use the brokenness as a weapon against the Yitzhahara in order to break, not myself, but to break the tumah that's surrounding my heart, which is not allowing the, the simcha to flow. That's the idea. Okay? So, yes, it's a weapon. And yes, this is what the, this is what the Pasuk is talking about when it says, right, Not that the, the atzvus is the goal. The atzvus is not the goal. This is the simple reason why the Alter, the, the Arizal said we should say this, this particular capital after Tikkun Chatzais, Kaidim Halimud, before the Limud, Kedel Limud Besimcha Emisis Vashem, Haba Achra Eitzev, right? In order that what that we should be learning with a Simcha Emisi, the Tikkun Chatzais is a is a is a tool that is supposed to be used in our toolbox of life. Nowadays, we don't say tikkun chatzos, right? Because we are trying to do things in an emissor way. And, and Labdafka, can I say about myself that I'm really uh, broken over the fact that the Mesa Mikdash is not here? I could say it, but is it really what's really generating my emotions? Hard to say that that's true. So instead, what Hasidus wants from us is that we should say Krishma Shalamita with that same energy. Whether it's once a week on a Thursday night, whether it's once a month on Erev Rosh Chaydish, or whether it's every night. To spend a little bit of time going, reflecting on our day and seeing, okay, today, I had, I had an interesting day today. What happened today? Let's spend three minutes. Let's spend two minutes. Let's spend five minutes, whatever it is, and reflect what things, not in a way of reflection of you're a bad boy, you're a good boy, but more from a point of view of let's look at the day and see, okay, what happened today? What, what, what did I do that could have been done better? What did I do that, push it, I did a good job. What did I do that I was just living on automatic pilot? Whatever it is. Spending a little bit of time every night calculating and recognizing that maybe my life is living itself and I'm not living my life. And therefore, therefore, I want to reclaim my life. So many of us are spending our lives that so we're just going from day to day and it's, it's just like, you know, it's happening. It's happening and we don't even realize it's happening. Masha Enkin, the idea of spending a little bit of time every night and making 
an assessment, making a calculation, and looking at it, and, and being a little bit like, you know, I, I really handled this situation poorly. It's okay. It's good. It's good to be able to recognize that. It means you're alive. That's a positive thing. And then you go from there and you say, okay, how could I have handled this situation better? How could I have had more compassion for the other person at this point in time? How could I have done this better? How could I have done that better? And then you could go to sleep in a state of simcha. In a state of, you know what, tomorrow, because tomorrow is going to be a better day. Tomorrow I'm going to wake up and I'm going to wake up for chassidus. I'm not going to be late for chassidus. And tomorrow I'm going to, you know, when my chavrusa says these obnoxious things to me, I'm going to handle it differently. I'm not going to punch him in the nose. Right? Or whatever it is. Right? But it's, it's, it's again, you're using, you're using the Krishna Shalomita as a tool for a goal. You want to accomplish that goal, whatever that goal is. The goal is to be besimcha. The goal is to live a life that is a simcha dika life, that is a meaningful life. Because at the end of the day, even universities now, with all of their, with all of their science and all of their experiments, they're showing that the only real simcha comes, and this is now documented, from having a meaningful life. I told you that the major experiment that was going on, that there are three different things. Number one is the idea of hedonistic pleasures that bring simcha. Number two is this flow state which brings simcha. And number three is doing something that is meaningful in life to bring simcha. And what it came up with is that 99% of the time is running after the hedonistic things and because we feel that those are the things that are going to bring me simcha. Buying a new pair of shoes, I want a new car, I want a new house, I want a new pool, I want to go eat in this restaurant, I want to uh, do this, I want to do that, right? That's what we're trained to do by our nefesh of ahamiases. And we think, why are we, why, why are we going after a new house? Or why are we going after a new uh, anything? or a delicious dinner, because we think that that is what's going to bring me happiness, because everyone really wants happiness. And then it's a very frustrating situation, because the bottom line is that it may bring you happiness for the one second that it's in your mouth, but most often than not, we're in the restaurant, and when we're eating Chinese food, we're talking about what we're going to go out to tomorrow night. We're going to eat Italian tomorrow night. Which restaurant are we going to go to? Right? We're not even there when we're there. And it's not our fault. Because why? Because the Nefesh of Bahamas has trained us that way. That is the Nefesh of Bahamas' training. And so 90% of the time we're going after these things to make us happy. And in fact, they don't really bring happiness. Right? You see that a person, after they bought their, their brand new Mercedes, and before they brought their brand new Mercedes, within one day they're holding on the same level. It may have been a hoo-ha for, for whatever, the first time they took it for a spin, but that's it. Within a very short period of time, they're on to other things. And now they're looking for the next thing. What, what else are they going to get in order to, to fill that, like we used to say you know, back in the 80s and 90s, that fill that hole in the soul? Because they are looking for People are looking, looking. How am I going to fill that hole? How am I going to make myself happy? How do, and, and we are driven in our society, and it's no fault of only of our own, but you know, all the advertising that's going on around us and all the PR that we're dealing with, right? You cannot be alive, and you cannot be a real man unless you drink Budweiser beer. 
right? Or smoke marble uh, cigarettes. You know the marble man, you know, walking, you know, going around on his, you know, you don't remember these, but they used to have commercials with him on his horse, you know, that's the real man. Or, you know, you know, as he's driving down the street and, you know, in his little car and it's putting and putting and putting and everyone's like turning their heads and then he goes into my, you know, what's the name of that, Meineke, and he gets a new carburetor or whatever it is that they do over there to the car. I'm not a car person, so I don't really know. And then all of a sudden he comes out and all the girls in the street are looking at him in his little car because he's not making noise. And that because he went to Meineke, now he becomes the most popular uh, man alive. You know, they're, they're, every commercial in the world is pushing into this idea. And people and advertising agents spend literally billions and billions of dollars to try to figure out what is making me and you, you and I, tick. Do you want to really be a, a rugged individual? Then you have to go to such and such a place. You have to wear such and such clothes. You have to drink such and such a beer. You have to... And it's the image that we... It's a false image that we personify. And therefore, we're constantly going for these things. And we constantly have to, I mean, think about the whole fashion industry. This year, thick belts are really in style. Next year, thin belts are really in style. Like, if you stop a second and think about it, that's a crazy concept. Right? And so now you have to go out and buy a new belt because you are not in style. This is actually a klipa that the Alter Rebbe tried to destroy, you know, 200 years ago. But it's, he said, you know, it didn't work out. <clears throat> he tried to destroy it with, uh, with regards to a whole story with his uh, grandson getting married and how he wanted to have a fur, uh, what you call it, uh, like the collar to to his coat, and he, uh, you know, he wanted to rip it off, and he asked him, "Can he rip it off?" Then he went, <coughs> "Does he have to really want to rip it off?" Like a whole Gantz story that talks about in Likute Dibur. But I guess what I'm trying to do here. And what Al Rebbe is showing us here is the first step in this process is to recognize the thoughts, recognize our own thoughts, and recognize who is driving the thoughts. And the most important part of this whole story, and we'll finish tomorrow this section, and we'll go into the start getting into the different etzas and strategies of how to deal with different issues that are causing us problems, is to recognize. And this is, should be our homework for today. Let's all try to do this, right? at, let's say, every hour on the hour today, stop a second and think about what you're thinking. Write down. You could even write it down. What are your thoughts? Where, what are you thinking right now? Where, and where are they coming from? Just stop. You do it five times a day. You do it one time a day. Do it two times a day. And try to even spend, let's say, two minutes tonight by Krishna Shalamita and think over the day. Try to think over the day and see, did I, where was I? What was I feeling? And try to, stop, try to figure out, like, what did I do with my day? And what things, what things I did with my day that I think I accomplished and what things I did with my day that I think that I failed or I could have done better. And then to make up some plan for tomorrow. How is tomorrow going to be different? How is tomorrow going to be better? And to go to sleep with that idea of, like, I'm going to go to sleep with the idea that tomorrow is going to be better and I'm going to, I'm going to accomplish more and I'm going to have a better day than today and in very specific areas. Now, with this practice, the more specific you get, the more results you're going to get. Don't try to change the whole world in a day. But 
simple, specific things. Okay, I gotta run. Mitzvah